Hey guys, welcome to the Bill Barnwell Show. I am Bill Barnwell. Today, it is an absolute delight to have this man joining us. Not just the host of Fantasy Focus, not just a man who contributes regularly to our NFL programming and does it in incredible fashion, but joining me today to break down his first, I believe, this this cycle, mock draft. Is that correct, Field Yates? My first since I was a child, Bill. I mean, I've been doing mock drafts just sort of casually, yes, but I, I tell Mel Kuyper Jr. all the time, I was criticizing his mock drafts <laughs> when I was about 12 years old and saying, there's absolutely no way you could have that guy going this high <laughs> in the draft. As a matter of fact, Bill, one of the players that I distinctly remember having in one of my mock drafts, and this would go all the way back to, I believe, 2011 or 2012. I should know this better. But I remember, and again, I wasn't like studying the tape of these guys, but Brian Anger, of course, still punting wow. in the NFL and doing so at a high level, Bill. I remember being the sicko that was like, you know what? I might use a fourth round pick on him. He ends up going in the third round. And perhaps the joke is on all the draft analysts, myself included, that thought, really, you're going to take Brian Anger in the third round when there are all the other players available? But it's a deep cut right there. And uh, as you know, Bill, I mean, the the draft is just the best because um, it is the one event during the year, the one where every team is afforded some level of hope, right? Because yes. not everybody has a ton of picks. Not everybody has a bunch of premium picks. But as the Rams showed us last year, you don't need a lot of picks or a lot of premium mm -hmm. picks to totally change the complexion of your roster. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Great, great example to bring up field. Not just Brian Anger, who, hey, never wrong, just early, I think yes. is the, the, <laughs> the attitude we're going to adopt here. I think you nailed it. 12 years ago, but I, with the Rams, obviously, can you count on getting you know, Puka Nakua in the fifth round? Eh, probably not. I mean, I think every, every fan is going to be looking at their fifth round wide receiver this year and be like, okay, we got Puka. We're good. We upgraded there. I mean, it, it, it's sort of the, the really fun nature of the draft and that I think, like you said, it, 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 to me, it's the most optimistic time of the year for NFL teams. Everyone's going to feel like they nailed their draft. Obviously, we know, you know, we but we don't know. We don't know who's going to fail yet. And, and I think it's sort of you're landing on this free talent. You know, you're landing on players who you do not have to give up anybody to get. You just had to wait a year. You know, the teams who were struggling, well, you had those high picks. You landed guys who you would expect to be difference makers. The teams who were already good, maybe they were missing a piece here or there. Well, they got that piece that was going to fill out their roster. I mean, it really is, I think, a fun part of here for that exact reason field. Very 100%. Yeah, and I would say this, Bill. I don't think that there is the common thread of every team at the top of a heap having absolutely nailed the NFL draft. Certainly, there are some big swings that worked out for all the very good teams. But largely, Bill, when we go down to the bottom of the NFL every single year, it's typically the teams that have failed themselves in the draft. There aren't too many teams that we have sat there and said, you know what? They've kind of crushed it consistently in the draft, and yet they're still finishing 5-11 and 11 every single year. Right. Maybe the best, most pertinent example would be the Bucs prior to Tom Brady. We all liked the roster prior to Tom's arrival, but they hadn't, you know, obviously they picked very high, uh, first overall with Jameis Winston mm -hmm. back in 2014, but they had also made some real swings that uh, worked out to be home runs. Uh, that were not necessarily top five picks, right? They had some mid first round picks that really worked mm -hmm. out and guys in subsequent rounds that really worked out. So typically if a team is at the bottom, one thing that needs to change is their draft aptitude. We are here 
to talk about ways in which we think their draft fortunes can turn around. Yes. And you think about someone like CJ Stroud last year, where, Mm -hmm. you know, when you get that guy, that one sort of difference maker, you nail one pick totally in every single way that unlocks other players on your roster. I mean, guys like Tank Dell, Nico Collins, those guys, who knows if if Tank Dell goes to, I'm going to pick a team and be mean here. uh, If Tank Dell goes to the Browns, a team that had a good year, if Tank Dell's on the Browns, is he the same guy? Who who, who can say? But but Tank Dell ended up in Houston with a a good offensive coordinator, with a, a very solid offensive line, and with a quarterback who was willing to throw to him at any time and had incredible accuracy in doing so. And that became a you know, a a roster that improved significantly, not just because they added C.J. Stroud, but also because the players around C.J. Stroud took a step forward and were elevated by having the Texans nail that pick on the offensive side of the ball. Sure was, Bill. And they're probably the best example of how, like, a tenor of a team can change so dramatically. Yes. I use the Rams talking about how, like, the roster changes. like, But they just, like, evolve mm-hmm. to a new phase, right? They're two years removed from winning the Super Bowl. They kind of had this planned sabbatical last year where they knew they were going to be incredibly limited in terms of spending, and they were going to have to take all their lumps during the 2022 mm-hmm. season. Well, in 2023, we thought that they would be competitive as far as Sean McVay's coaching aptitude Matthew Stafford's brilliance would take them, but there were some limitations because the overall roster talent wasn't that great. Now we're saying to them to ourselves, like they have gone from a team that was so star heavy to a team that has a ton, a ton of controllable talent that's very, very low cost as well. So one draft can really shape the narrative around your franchise in a way that was dramatically different just 12 months ago. Absolutely. And that speaks to being comfortable in terms of finding players in the middle in late rounds, finding guys in day two and day three. I mean, we're going to talk about your mock draft today, which are, are day one picks. And obviously, most of the focus is going to be on the guys in day one. Like, I would love to have a, you know, seventh round pick mock draft podcast with you. You could pull it off. I could not. I don't Yeah, that comes, that comes in April. Yeah, April 10th, we'll have that podcast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I do love that idea. You should do that on, on first draft. You should do a a, a seventh round pick mock draft with Mel. I think that would be incredible. If you don't think that Mel Kuyper Jr. could do that right now, right now, he could absolutely do it and probably do. Mel, Mel reminded me of this yesterday, Bill, and not to get us off track. The NFL draft used to be 17 rounds. 17 yes. rounds. And Mel probably incredible. had mock draft for all 17 rounds back in the day. <laughs> Do love that idea of Mel just just calling people about his 16th round pick. They've got to fill in this Broncos 16th rounder. You know there are people out there who, of course, there's this huge draft community that's developed online. Huge amount of people who love doing mock drafts like you did, like you do. Uh, you try to people who love studying college tape. There are people who do seven round mock drafts. We would get a 17 round mock draft if it were a 17 round process still. There would be a 17 mock draft community out there. There would be a Reddit thread. There would be a subreddit <laughs> as well. Uh, there would be all kinds of people that are willing to go to the mat for 17 full rounds, Bill. Uh, I don't know if I would be capable of doing that, Bill, in part because <laughs> think about filling out 17 rounds worth of needs for teams, right? Yes. Like, the Chiefs would be taking a quarterback every year and they have the <laughs> best player on the planet because the draft is 17 rounds. Just incredible and crazy to me. Yes, absolutely. But as much as we want to talk about the guys at the very end of the draft field, I have to start today with the guys at the very top 
of your mock draft. And so again, I, I'm going to be upfront here. I am not someone who is watching college football closely enough to analyze players at a high level. I'm watching as a fan. I'm watching as someone who is interested in their NFL roles. But I want to defer to people who are much smarter than me and much more thorough and studied about me about than me about these guys, which includes you. And I'm saying that because all year, when I've been writing about this year's draft, and sort of the expectations for teams like the Bears and the Panthers and different teams at the top of the draft. I've always thought of it as a big two. It's always been Caleb Williams and Drake May. And when you look at most mock drafts out there, you see them in some order. Usually Caleb Williams first. I know my friend Nate Tice has Drake May going number one or thinks he's the number one quarterback. I'm not saying anyone's right or wrong. Just, you know, throwing that out there is that's usually been a big two. Jaden Daniels, of course, had an excellent season at LSU. And when I saw your mock draft, I have to admit, I was a little surprised to see Caleb Williams at number one, not surprised to see Caleb Williams at number one, but Jaden Daniels at number two to Washington before Drake May went three to the Patriots. So Field, educate me. Sell me on why you have Jaden Daniels as the second overall pick ahead of Drake May. Yeah, it's so funny, Bill. First of all, not to take myself off the hook, but when you have a quarterback at two and a subsequent quarterback at three, people do feel like that is a very strong line between the two of them. And it's not true. When the truth of the matter is, Bill, that in my top 25 overall big board, which you can find on ESPN.com at any time right now, my top four prospects are in this order Caleb Williams, Marvin Harrison Jr., Mm -hmm. Jaden Daniels, Greg May. So really what you're saying is that if we're going to use some sort of arbitrary one to 100 scale, I'm not sure if anybody is a 100, but Caleb Williams is like a 98, Marvin Harris is like a 97. And those next two guys, maybe they're both 96s, maybe they're 96 versus 95. So when I say that I have Jaden Daniels mocked ahead of Drake May, it is also not concurrently me saying that Jaden Daniels is leaps and bounds better than Drake May, but rather that I do believe the evaluation at pick two, assuming that A, Caleb Williams goes one, and B, that the commanders decide they want to take a quarterback at pick two is going to be less about which player is clearly ranked ahead of the other on their board bill and more about a stylistic fit, almost like shopping for real estate. You see two homes on the market, Mm -hmm. both at the same price. Which one has the amenities that you might like more than the other home? In the case Mm -hmm. of Jaden Daniels, no player helped to stock more during the 2023 college football season Mm -hmm. than Daniels. He burst onto the scene. He had been a longtime starter. He was a true freshman starter at Arizona State. He's been a five-year college player, basically a five-year full-time starter as well, Bill. So he has played a ton of football, but he's come a Mm -hmm. long way since those days at Arizona State when I believe he was a teammate with Brandon Ayuk, his true freshman year, if I have that wow. correctly. He definitely played for one season together. I believe it was Jaden's. Yeah, it must have been Jaden's true freshman season. So he's been in the game a while here, Bill. But he made such dramatic strides, not just from the time that he arrived at LSU two seasons ago, but definitely since he arrived or since the, this past season began. LSU lost their first game of the season this past year to Florida State, a game that was tied at halftime, a game that was close going into the fourth quarter, and then became a big-time blowout. But Jaden Daniels got so much better from there. What's going to immediately be discussed and talked about as it pertains to Jaden Daniels is that athletically, Bill, he is one of one in this class amongst quarterbacks. 
I doubt he'll run the 40 at the combine because there's no need to. I'm telling you, he's fast, fast. He might be in the four threes. This is like Lamar coming out of Louisville. There was no need for Lamar Jackson to run a 40 time because if you mm -hmm. needed a 40 time to verify that he was otherworldly fast, then you needed to like get your glasses checked, right? There was no need to get a hand speed on a guy right. who was faster than every player that he faced at the college level. And by the way, pretty much faster than every player he's faced at the pro level. Mm -hmm. That's the kind of speed and athleticism that Jaden Daniels brings to the table. Is he quite on the same level as Lamar as a runner? No, Bill. You know why? Lamar Jackson's the greatest running quarterback in NFL history. He will one day have all the rushing records for quarterbacks. And clearly on a per play basis, he has been the best rushing quarterback that we have ever seen. As a thrower, Jaden Daniels, though, is not to be confused for some sort of slouch. Terrific deep ball accuracy, which helped two guys in Malik Neighbors, who I think will be a top six pick, and also Brian Thomas Jr., who I think will be a first round pick, have career years in their final years in college. Jaden Daniels is a, he has got a big time arm. This is not some guy who is just athlete and not going to be able to hold up in what is a very important and fundamental part of the game as a quarterback, mm -hmm. which is throwing the ball. He's a terrific thrower as well. So a true dual threat quarterback who also played his best in huge moments this past year, Bill. I know that LSU is one of the best programs in all of college football. They won the national championship during Joe Burrow's final season just, mm -hmm. what, four years ago, five years ago now, right? It's not like this team is totally bereft of talent. But defensively, it was one of the worst defenses the school mm -hmm. has ever put out there. They fired their entire staff basically on defense this offseason. They talked mm -hmm. about it. There were LSU legends left and right coming out of the woodwork talking about how bad this defense was. Marcus Spears mm -hmm. actually almost went back to school for his final year of eligibility <laughs> because the defense needed him that badly, Bill. Um, so, yes, Jaden Daniels played with great receivers. But also, yes, this defense was so bad. They basically needed him to be Superman every single mm -hmm. week, and he essentially was. We can do a whole other part on Drake May, and I'd love to tell you everything that I love about Drake May, but that right there is just why I feel as though Jaden Daniels belongs firmly in the mix for one of the top three quarterbacks in this year's class and that it is no longer debatable. It is absolutely, unequivocally a three-quarterback class. It is not simply a two-quarterback right and you know it's not as if i've certainly seen other mock drafts that have had Jaden daniels go three and the difference between going third uh, between him going third and drake may going second and vice versa is very small like like you've pointed out but it's so interesting you know this idea of how big of a leap you can take in a single season and joe burrow is a classic example, right? Maybe the most notable example 100%, of a guy. Percent, yep. You know, his final year at school went from being a guy who I don't know. I don't remember Joe Burrow being talked about as more than like a, you know, a mid round pick, maybe a day three pick, day, you know, maybe a day two pick, but more likely a day three pick at quarterback, to being the dude. And he's been incredible when healthy at the pro level most of his time as well. So when you think about evaluating players. You know, when it comes to guys who have that sort of final year that spikes and they just look like a different caliber of player, does that make you nervous? Does that seem like something you might want to take advantage of because you're seeing a guy hit a new level and so you're going to have teams who are maybe skeptical that he wasn't that player his entire career? Do you sort of try to find the reasons why they took that leap, maybe because of the players around them or other factors? Like, like, like how do you feel about players who you know, are, are someone 
like a Jaden Daniels who make a spike in their final season and improve dramatically versus someone like trying to think of a good comparison, Trevor Lawrence, where Trevor Lawrence was got to Clemson. He was great. They won. He stayed at Clemson. They were great. He left. He, you know, he was not that he didn't improve. Start to finish. Great. Yeah. He was start to finish. Great. It wasn't like you had one year where you thought Trevor Lawrence was the dude. And then the other two years he was fine. Like how do you change your feelings, your evaluations on a player when there is that one outlier season where he's so much better than he was previously? Yeah, well, I think a couple of things here, Bill, is that it's not like, so Jaden Daniels, you're right. I think coming into the season, he was more like mid-round pick, but there were some skills that you did see when you go back and watch the 2022 tape that reminded you of, you know, just like there is some upside here, Uh, but you're absolutely right. It is a bit of a balancing act here because uh, the, 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 the full sample size certainly just gives you a uh, lot more clarity, right? Like I, I uh, if we could talk about Bo Nix at some point, but what I have said frequently in discussing Bo Nix's uh, profile with people uh, both in our space, the media space, and also in the NFL space is that like, whatever your evaluation is of Bo Nix, like you can't tell me that you don't know what it is based off of tape, right? The guy started more games than any quarterback in FBS history, right? Like if you end up whiffing on Bo Nix, it ain't because you didn't have the opportunity to study it in the first place, right? Um, the reality, though, Bill, is that college football is changing changing so dramatically. We're going to see a whole lot more of what we're talking about right now with Jaden Daniels. Guys who maybe have won one and a half full seasons in which they are the guy, and all of a sudden they explode and become this potential number one overall pick, or in the case of Jaden Daniels, maybe the second overall pick. But I would also just say that like, I continue to ask myself, what travels with Jaden? Like, what will travel with him to the NFL level? And start, let's start with the fact that, uh, you know, again, I hate to make it seem like he is just a running quarterback, but I absolutely know that there is no two ways about this. He is an elite athlete. He is a rare athlete at the quarterback position. He will make NFL defenders look silly, akin to how we did at the college level and akin to how Lamar often does at the pro level. And as far as like the throwing stuff is concerned, Bill, is like you're kind of evaluating it on every different level of the of, of throws, right? In the short passing game, some of what LSU was able to take advantage of is the fact that they had two aliens at wide receiver. <laughs> but as you know, like ball placement, we measure accuracy, we mean in the collective football following, typically leaning most on completion percentage. I think there's also, uh, you know, there are other things that are important there, including ball placement. If you go back and watch ball placement on wide receiver screens this past year. Is he setting up Malik Neighbors and Brian Thomas Jr. for run after catch plays? The answer is yes. In the intermediate passing game, is he able to throw those out routes that Bill, as we know, those are, you know, first of all, it's a longer throw. Second of all, there's a bit of a risk to it because you have a natural boundary working against you that, you know, you, you can't put it right or left, you know, depending on which sideline you, you're, 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 you're working towards, you either have to put it right or left, right? You can't put it to both sides. So, um, and then on the, in the, the vertical passing game as well, Bill, like it's really, really good. The arm strength is not to be confused with some of the other quarterbacks in this class, maybe most specifically Drake May, who definitely has a cannon. Uh, Joe Milton, the third from Tennessee has the biggest arm in the draft class and maybe the biggest arm in the NFL when he enters the league next year, Bill, it is wow. downright Anthony Richardson like, um, but Jaden Daniels not on that level. However, he does have plenty good enough arm strength to drive the football down the field. And then I think part of what won me over, Bill, is, uh, and I am not trying to, uh, to compare players frequently to Patrick Mahomes. I'm just using the mm. example of what Patrick Mahomes reminded us of in this most recent Super Bowl, and probably for the last six seasons, is the idea that like 
When things shouldn't work out, do they work out for a quarterback? Patrick, more so than any other player in the league right now, finds ways to make things work out when they shouldn't mm -hmm. work out. And that happened often with Jaden Daniels this past season. You know, plays uh, against very good defenses. Not not the SEC was, you know, not, not, not every defense is going to be, you know, Georgia or Alabama. But, you know, against some very, very good defenses and adverse circumstances, Jaden Daniels had a solution for everything that was thrown at him. He played three quarters against Alabama before leaving briefly with a head injury. He ended up returning the following week, Bill, and he had 400 yards. I mean, almost 400 yards of total offense. I can imagine what Nick Saban thought about defending a player <laughs> like that. In the Missouri game, a team that probably will have five guys at least drafted from their defense on the road. As you know, Missouri had a great season this past year. Mm -hmm. He had all the answers for what Missouri threw at him, including some moments in the fourth quarter in gotta-have-it situations where if he doesn't convert, the game is over. And he found a way to keep on converting. So the mentality, the clutch production, as I refer to it often, for these quarterbacks, I thought was so spectacular for Jaden Daniels that it gave me confidence that this stuff will travel to the next level. And you know, I, I do my own evaluations, but I would be, mm -hmm. you know, I think short-sighted to not rely upon those that have spent time around Jaden as area scouts or people within NFL offices that uh, have access to all sorts of things, character reports, medical reports, et cetera, that we just don't have as much of in the public. And it's all continue to check out that what you see is what you get. And that mm -hmm. Jaden Daniels is the real deal, not just as a player, but also as a person. Mm -hmm. I mean, all that adds up, certainly, and certainly feels like he's a player who, throughout this process, has continued to rise and grow. And of course, some of that is his play, but like you said, some of that is the stuff off the field. Some of that is, you know, the positives you hear, um, you know, from uh, people in the league. Um, you know, the, the, when when you have scouts talking to coaches, when you have scouts talking to people around that program, it certainly seems like those are positives in Jaden Daniels' favor. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there is no competition. And right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number 8, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a Jets Pizza location near you. Again, try Jets Signature 8-Corner Pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's number 8, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. I'm, I'm not going to ask you to break down Drake May, but I have a question for you that one of our colleagues brought up. And I think it's a really interesting idea. I don't know that I agree or disagree. I don't know that there's a right or wrong answer, but I wanna get your thoughts on the general concept. And this is regarding a tweet from Matt Miller, our colleague who also covers the NFL draft. He suggested, and I don't wanna, I'm gonna paraphrase here, so I don't wanna take his words out of context, but I think I'm being fair here and saying, the Patriots should not draft a quarterback at three because the infrastructure is not there for that quarterback to succeed. 
and he compared it to the Texans, where they had Laramie Tunsil, they had multiple first-round picks, they had Shaq Mason up front. They went out and signed Dalton Schultz. They drafted Tank Dell, who we didn't know Tank Dell was going to be Tank Dell, but obviously Nico Collins had been, uh, you know, a promising player, not the guy who broke out this year, but they had pieces on offense. They was not starting over alongside a quarterback on offense. And you look at the Patriots and, you know, there's there's some positives. There's there's some offensive line talent, like Onwenu and uh, Cole Strange. There's some help at receiver maybe, but this is obviously still an offense that they could use a quarterback, a number one wide receiver, and a left tackle in this draft. They're not going to be able to get all of those most likely. So just from your perspective, whether it's the Patriots, whether it's in general, do you think there is an infrastructure? Do you think there is a situation where you're putting a quarterback at risk by drafting them before you get the pieces around them? Or do you think it's so rare to have the opportunity to take a mm. guy who could be a franchise quarterback that you just sort of have to say, let's get the quarterback and then we'll do our best to help him and, and get those pieces, even if it's not in year one. Bill, part two so far outweighs part one of that conversation right there. And I, I know you said we're not going to do our Drake May bit here right now. Let me spoil it for people. I love Drake May. He's awesome. Yes. He's incredible. He's absolutely unquestionably worthy of being in the conversation for the best player in the draft. And Drake May evaluation. But it, I, I, I love Matt and I hear him out and I think him and I will certainly debate this more over the next couple of months here, Bill. But as as different as it feels right now, like let's remind ourselves. And I think Nico Collins entering last season had more promise as a player than the Patriots perimeter wide receivers that are on the roster right now do. Yes. But Nico Collins had 70 career catches and three touchdowns prior to last year. He had never surpassed 500 yards in a season. He's a young player, obviously, but still, it wasn't like Nico Collins had been balling out when we were saying to ourselves they had a guaranteed building block. Right. So if you're the Patriots, yes, it is thin right now across the offensive side of the ball. It is extremely thin. But you know what, Bill? I consider that the responsibility of the organization. The hardest thing to do in professional football is finding a quarterback, in part because there are so few of them, Bill, but also in part because they are incredibly difficult to acquire. And it requires a very unusual trade. We rarely see starting quarterbacks uh, traded. You know, we've seen the Russell Wilsons and Matthew Stafford, Jared Goff deals, et cetera. But like, those were such big deals in part because of the names of the players, but also in part because they never happen, right? Those are so infrequent. Beyond that, they never hit free agency or they rarely hit free agency. And then third, and perhaps most importantly, Bill, while there are guys who become diamonds in the rough, the Brock Purdy's of the world, the Dak Prescott's of the world, guys who go to the third or fourth round, as you and I both know, go through the NFL. Most of the great quarterbacks were drafted in the first round. Many of them were drafted in the first five picks. So if you're the Patriots, the hardest thing to do is acquire a quarterback. You also have the opportunity to do so right now. My evaluation is that regardless of which of these three quarterbacks is available at pick three, all three of them represent exactly what the Patriots need to build this offense back up going forward. If they feel like one or two of these three does not merit that, A, I see the player differently than they do, and B, they better be very, very careful because it all sounds great if you can move from three to eight and grab a bunch of extra picks. And maybe if that is the path, Bill, I would be on board with it because it would also, I think, have to come with an acknowledgement that they are going to, uh, this is going to be a, a rebuilding year again, right? Like we are already eyeing towards 2025. 
But sure. staying at pick three and taking somebody besides a quarterback, to me, would be irresponsible on their behalf. And the last thing that I'd say about this, Bill, is as much as uh, you know, we talk about how the roster looks right now, March actions lead to April actions, right? April yes. being the draft. Like the Patriots, I get it. There are only so many players that hit free agency that are guaranteed stars, but they're going to have an opportunity to spend big this offseason because they got a whole lot of money to spend. And their uh, new head coach, Gerard Mayo, said something to the effect of, we're going to spend all the money. So <laughs> improve this roster, even if not to the point where we're going to be confusing them with like, you know, I don't know, the Bengals, whoever you think the best wide receiver trio is in the NFL, but they can at least be, you know, much closer to the middle than they are at the bottom and feel like Drake May or Jaden Daniels or Caleb Williams would have a chance to succeed. But the opportunity cost is far too rich to bypass, Bill. I would never bypass a quarterback given the evaluation I have for these three guys, unless there's something I just don't know about these guys. And, uh, you know, this far into the process, I'd be surprised if there was something like, truly truly altering about them that i don't know uh, that will be my take is you have to take one bill and figure everything else out yeah i mean there it's easier to think okay we'll just use more seven man protection we will help our left tackle the vast majority of the time we will you know take a guy in day two who we think can develop into a player we will trade up for a wide receiver we will do whatever it takes to help elsewhere and also go out and get that quarterback because it is so hard to oh, find that God. guy. I, I, I so, you know, if, if you don't, if you think Drake may is okay, if you think he's just, you know, the next Mitch Trubisky, which I don't want to pick on Mitch Trubisky, but if you think he's just a, you know, an okay prospect, then yeah, of course don't take him at three, but, but what you have to do there, Bill, in my opinion is you must find somebody that thinks Drake may yes. is worth a pick three and you have to yep. move back. I, I just, I, I, I think the world of Marvin Harrison, Jr., Joe Walt, left tackle from Notre Dame, Malik Neighbors, wide receiver from LSU. I just think from this is not about the player bill. It's about asset management. You and I know yep. this very well. You and I are both fans of not just the NFL, but we follow the NBA where we see asset management sure. matter so much more. And that to me would be a misuse of assets by the Patriots who mm -hmm. I'm sure for their purposes, hope they are never picking third again. Yes. But one of the silver linings of having such a terrible season is that you have this extremely rare chip to play. Yes, absolutely. And I, I think they would be smart enough to make that move. But obviously, we will see. Hopefully, yes, they'll either love May or find someone who does. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another quarterback moving on from the top three here, who I certainly think teams are beginning to fall in love with as they <laughs> do their due diligence, and a quarterback who I think you believe teams are going to be higher on perhaps than he would be on your big board is J.J. McCarthy. And you have him going to the Broncos at 12 in your mock draft, but your mock draft does not have trades. And quarterback if a team likes a quarterback they will move up to trade for him especially if they believe other teams are lying in wait to either make that trade themselves or take him before jj mccarthy falls to them in the draft so 
from your perspective, just, just based on what you've heard, based on what you see from McCarthy, based on what you know about how the league values quarterbacks, do you think once you consider the factor of trades getting involved, do you think J.J. McCarthy will go higher than 12, maybe even fall into the bottom half of the top 10? Bill, I do. And it sounds crazy to say, right? But I think when you, and I'm not just referring to trades like Justin Fields, who will eventually, you know, I think will eventually be traded. I'm also yes. talking about the idea that once we actually begin the draft on April 25th, the Bears at number nine, could they find, you know, an extra second or an extra right. third or whatever it might be to move down a few slots? Here is the value that JJ, and I want to start, and I, I'm realizing this, Bill, I want to make sure that I'm very conscientious of this as a draft analyst, is that like, sure. There is a lot to like about J.J. McCarthy, right? Like he's a good athlete. He's got very good ball placements. Like the Michigan offense was, I think, I mean, there are so many things that they did well across the board that some people are going to say, like, how much did J.J. really have to shoulder at the same time, Bill? Like the arm strength is good enough. The ball placement is good enough. The leadership is supposedly out, is, is outstanding. Like the football character actually for all the top quarterbacks is like really, really great this year, which is so fun to see. Um, but like there are a lot of commendable traits for JJ McCarthy. I also think, and I'm going to give a, a hat tip to our to our good friend Mina Kimes, and she was uh, she has begun her quarterback studies, and she uh, had not really had a chance to watch Jaden Daniels at the level that you need to for draft prep until recently, and, and and Drake and Caleb as well. And she was just she remarked to me something to the effect of like, you know, without giving any way too much of her analysis, like man, the gap is real from three to four, and the gap is yeah. very real from three to four, Bill. Uh, and that, to me, makes the idea of Jaden Daniels or Drake May going third and J.J. McCarthy maybe going eighth very, very scary. But the reality is this, Bill. Quarterbacks get moved up the board because even if the chances of Drake May, I'm sorry, of J.J. McCarthy becoming an all-pro player are slim, slimmer than, for example, Roma Dunesday, the wide receiver from Washington, who I absolutely love. As you know, if J.J. McCarthy just, to, just gets to like, above average at quarterback, he'll become, well, by the time he's extension eligible, but that could be like a 55, $60 million per year player yeah. with the way the quarterback economics are changing. And here, Bill, is the factor that I will say every day that I am asked until we get to the draft that must mm -hmm. not be ignored by anybody. There are There is pressure around people, uh, around the league on various people that understand now. I mean, as you know, patience is, 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 is shorter than ever for coaches and, yes. and GMs. As a matter of fact, Bill, the GM, like there was a time where like every couple of years, it felt like a GM job turned over, right? Like yes. maybe not that dramatic, but it was a very slow moving carousel. Now, Bill, every year it feels like we're getting two, three, four jobs that come available. And what that does, that creates an innate pressure. There are teams around the NFL that you know are feeling a certain pressure right now because they understand if 2025, excuse me, 2024 does not go as they hope. They might be done. So I'll use this example, Bill. And I'm not saying this is the only one. I am not saying this is a definite that this team moves sure. back up but or takes a quarterback. But you and I can, can both speak to this. If the New York Giants do not improve this year, what's happening after this season? Most likely to Joe Shane and Brian Dayball. Right. And so you have to make a decision if you're those two gentlemen. Do we want to potentially, and I'm not trying to guarantee anything, but as an example of a team that I think does face some innate pressure going into this year, 
impact. We want to potentially go down swinging with Daniel Jones, who's been up and down throughout his career, but he's now coming off of a torn ACL and has two major, major neck injuries. Or would you potentially buy yourself a little bit of time and draft a quarterback somewhere in the first round, whether it's early or whether it's by trading back or actually trading from round two into round one to acquire one of those quarterbacks? Mm-hmm. Not necessarily fully resetting the clock because you still have a $40 million Daniel Jones contract on your books, Bill, but at least it gives you a chance to kind of seek new upside that could maybe give you new life for this year. And if a few things break your way, as they did just two seasons ago, you could be back in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And that's a very defensible strategy. And I think it's not just from the Giants perspective, but then also from, let's say, the Broncos perspective at 12 where like, you know, maybe they stay put and maybe everyone's bluffing and McCarthy falls to them, but maybe they sit here for three months and say, well, we know we're cutting Russell Wilson. We know the giants could take a quarterback. We know the Falcons could take a quarterback. We know the bears could trade down and to a team behind us. You know, they could trade down with uh, the Steelers. They could trade down with the Vikings. They could trade down to a team that is going to take a quarterback at nine. We might have to go to the Chargers at five and say, hey, we have to get ahead of all those teams. So even though J.J. McCarthy might not be on that level when you come to his tape, just the pressure of having to not just make a decision and the pressure not just of having to improve your roster more quickly in in, in this sort of accelerated cycle, but the threat of other teams, knowing they have to deal with that as well, creates a pressure to then move up and take a guy so yeah that's going to be a really fascinating like four month long game of chicken between these various teams do you make that trade up for a guy who I, you know and again like i don't think NFL gms are naive like i don't believe that they're sitting here saying yeah jj mccarthy's as good as these other guys but i think they're acknowledging the value of a quarterback is so high and the ability to find even a pretty good quarterback you know, who you have on a rookie level deal for four years is just so difficult without getting into a place where you are getting ahead of all the other teams you might want to take one. Yeah, Bill, I, I I hate to use the same term over again, but I think specifically when we're talking about the quarterbacks in the first round, we have to think so much more about asset management than we do just yeah. the player itself. Because if it works and it's not a guarantee to work, but if it does work, there is no more advantageous asset in all of professional sports right now than a quarterback on a rookie contract. I don't think that's hyperbole in saying that either. And while it's possible that you find that quarterback in the seventh round, a la Brock Purdy, just use the numbers, use history on your side. The scariest part of this bill is something that, and it's always interesting. I've always found it very instructive bill to discuss quarterback prospects with teams that need them and discuss quarterback prospects with teams that don't need them. And sometimes it's actually the teams that don't need them that have more revealing thoughts in my estimation. And one thing that has been reminded to me time and again, and I I, I actually asked this on Mina's pod, nobody has responded with a good example. So I'll throw it out to the great listener to the Bill Barnwell show. Can you think of a quarterback in recent vintage who was pushed up the board artificially, a guy who was quote unquote overdrafted, whether it's an EJ Manuel is a good example, right? Guys who, Shouldn't have been first-round picks, but because they played quarterback, Daniel Jones, et cetera, where a quarterback was overdrafted and proved to end up being a very strong investment. The general history, Bill, is that we look back on those players and say they were overdrafted at the time, and they turned out to be 
overdrafted when we reflect on those players four, five, 10 years later. So my advice to NFL teams, and it's a lot easier to say this, when <laughs> my job is not on the line if I do or do not pick J.J. McCarthy, because uh, this just in, I don't have the ability to pick J.J. McCarthy, nor will I ever be an NFL GM. Um, but it's easier for me to say this now, Bill, but tread lightly on overdrafting some of these quarterbacks. you got to trust your eyes. And uh, huge. I, I, I know this is, again, going to sound very reductive, but like, Usually you can kind of tell what a first round quarterback looks like, right? Like that's yes. probably oversimplifying a little bit, but usually you can. Yeah, for sure. And it's a, like you said, so much easier for us to say than an NFL manager in that situation. But it is absolutely correct. On the flip side, I want to talk about the the opposite sort of situation, a player where you love the player, but the positional value might not necessarily be there very high in the draft. And that's Brock Bowers, the tight end oh, out of Georgia, man. who's coming off of a knee injury, um, you know, or sorry, was it an ankle injury? Excuse me. I he had an ankle injury. Yep. He had the tightrope surgery during the season. Yeah, and came back. He did. Insane. Crazy. Yeah. And he came back and looked pretty much like Brock Bowers, which is the craziest part of it all. <laughs> Because that is not an easy injury to come back from. Jalen Hurts right. had it a few years ago postseason. This was the one that Mac Jones had when he got hurt uh, back in 2022 that even when he came back, looked like a different player. And Mac, yes. obviously, things have gone off the rails since. But yes. those are just a couple. Cooper Cup had this surgery a while back as well. These are examples of guys who are in the NFL that have had this surgery or had this type of injury and opted against surgery. And this is how things have looked on the back end of it. Yeah, I mean, to come back so quickly just for, you know, in, in a college season where your draft status was already established, Brock Bowers was going to be a first round pick, uh, you know, just speaks to not only his desire to win, but also just the fact that he is a very brave person. But when it comes to Brock Bowers, the prospect, you have him very high on your big board. Where is he on, on your big board, if, I'm, if I may he, ask? Overall. Eighth overall. So you have him as a top 10 player on your big board, but you have him dropping to the Seahawks at 16 when it uh, when it comes to your mock draft. And obviously, there is a gap there between the asset management, the positional value that we talk about a lot with running backs. It came up a lot last year with Bijan Robinson and Jameer Gibbs, yep. two players who I think a lot of people saw as superstar running back prospects, but in a league where running backs do not make that much more than guys taken in the top 10, when a league where guys, um, where, where you're getting a lot more positional value by taking a, a shot at a quarterback, by taking an edge rusher, by taking a left tackle uh, in the first round, where it's harder to find those guys at those positions relative to finding running backs, finding tight ends in free agency. There's a balance, right? Mm -hmm. You know, there's, yeah. a there's a balance when it comes to these guys. And I guess I wonder from your perspective, you know, not just Brock Bowers, not just tight end, not just running backs, but when you have players who are standouts, top 10 big board guys at these positions like running back, like tight end, maybe like safety, maybe interior line, like a, a Quentin Nelson comes to mind for me, maybe sure. you know, at positions where we are typically not paying those guys top tier wide receiver, top tier left tackle money. Do you think players who are that good at those positions are undervalued? I don't think they're undervalued, Bill, um, at least in the draft. I think they're undervalued by the league. Uh, you probably know this, but if I were, I hate to, I, this, if this sounds condescending, um, I apologize. No, no. But who's the highest paid tight end in the NFL right now on a per year basis? Uh, 
Is it David Njoku? It is George Kittle. Oh, okay. George and Kittle. when did George Kittle sign his extension, Bill? Do you recall that answer as well? Twenty twenty one. Yeah, it's been a, it's been a few years. Is is the the answer? It's uh, twenty twenty. Uh, I believe in oh, August wow. of twenty twenty. It's January. I'm sorry. It's February of twenty twenty four. Bill, that market hasn't moved in three and a half years. Before that, it was Jimmy Graham. That's right. Jimmy Graham Jimmy had Graham. the biggest. Jimmy, Jimmy Graham signed a deal for ten million a year, yep. and then when he signed his next deal, it was also for ten million a year. Yeah. So the market's rarely moved. How about running back? Uh, you probably know the answer. It's Christian McCaffrey. And I hate, to, again, this probably sounds silly, but I'm just trying to il- illustrate a point about how the league is valuing these two spots. Christian McCaffrey, still the highest paid running back in the NFL. Again, he signed his deal, I believe, in 2021. So we're talking about, might, might have been January of- uh, No, it 20, was 2020. It was April 2020. 2020. Look at that, April 2020. So we are now almost four full years removed from the running back market changing. The NFL, and meanwhile, well, the quarterbacks, I mean, the new highest paid quarterback changes. I mean, it changed like five times last offseason, Bill, between Jalen Hurts, Lamar Jackson, Joe Burrow, Justin Herbert, and then Patrick Mahomes taking that crown back over. I mean, so the NFL has spoken to us. Now, it will be unfair to limit Brock Bowers to just being a tight end in the sense that athletically and from a uh, receiving standpoint, he is so much more than that, right? I mean, the guy is, as Mel has coined it, he is a, um, you know, he's an offensive weapon. He is, uh, he's, Mel likes to uh, like call these players fear factor guys, guys who every single snap, you know, strikes some fear into you. Uh, that is the case for Brock Bowers. I mean, the only player to ever win the Mackey Award, which is given to the best tight end in college football in two seasons. He won it back-to-back years. All-American, uh, first team in the past two years. Unanimous this past year, Bill. A second teamer in 2021 as a true freshman. The guy had 13 receiving touchdowns for a true as a true freshman for a national championship winning team that had other players on the roster that either have already made it to the NFL, like George Pickens, or will make it to the NFL this year. And Ladd McConkey and Marcus Rosemary Jack Saint, two wide receivers that people will be more familiar with over the next couple of months. He is not doing this as the only guy in a roster that has nobody else. He's doing it amidst a superstar roster, Bill. Next week, and you and I are having this conversation before the combine, will be very interesting. Uh, Brock Bowers, if he runs somewhere in the four fours, Bill, then we might change this conversation, right? Because yes. that has been kind of the pathway for tight ends to crack the top, top the top ten. Kyle Pitts being the most recent pertinent example. Um, but that would not be my guess of where Brock Bowers runs, assuming he does run. However, I will be interested to see how much the narrative changes. If it's like a four, six something, will it be like, ah, you know, great player, but you know, is it is it possible to draft a guy at that spot at that speed inside the top 10? We shall see. I think TJ Hawkinson was right around there. So the answer might be, yes, you can. But, you know, part of this bill is, as I'm going through the first round mock draft, with the inability to make trades, I was going through and looking at teams that certainly could have drafted Brock Bowers. But I'm saying to myself, you know, like, they probably have a bigger need that the NFL has told us is more pressing, right? So if you're the Bears, I'm not saying that Cole Komet is necessarily um, like this picket fence that prevents you from drafting Brock Bowers, but I'd argue a team that finished with the second fewest sacks in the NFL last season did Obviously, add Montez Sweat could use another edge rusher. So I gave him Leatu Latu from UCLA. You keep moving down the board. The Broncos at quarterback. The Colts, who don't have a star tight end bill, but they've taken a bunch of mid-round swings at tight end and I think need a corner more than a game-changing tight end. And mm-hmm. I gave him Terry on Arnold from Alabama. So it, I, I was happy that I haven't yet, and maybe that'll change, heard from Brock and that the, the idea of being it was personal because it was far from personal. I loved Brock Bowers, but... 
I'm trying to follow the lead of how the NFL has told us they value things and try to slot players accordingly. But I do think between trade-ups and uh, just, you know, the general machinations that take place over the next couple of months of the process, like guys will get skewered. Brock probably doesn't have that much to skewer unless he runs poorly at the combine bill. Mm-hmm. I think he'll end up being a top 12 pick when push comes to shove. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and yeah, I, I mean, it only takes one, right? At the end of the day, like you okay. have to have that one team that says, we think he is a difference maker. We think he's beyond this position. We think he is a guy who transcends tight end, who transcends running back, who transcends safety, who transcends interior linemen. And, yep. I, you know, I, I, I've i talked plenty about running backs. I, I you know, we, we could do a whole podcast. We've done all, all kinds of content on running backs. It, it's not a reflection on the player. It's not that B. John Robinson was not a great running back last year. It's not that Brock Bowers is not a great tight end this year. But again, it's that thing of how easy is it to find a running back versus an edge rusher how easy yeah. is it to find a tight end versus a left tackle that is the the tough part of that you know when you think when fans think about the draft it's not just hey let's get the best player but also what are the chances that we can get you know a player at a core position elsewhere and yeah. you can i mean it's possible but either you're going to be trading a lot and giving a guy a lot of money to do it or you're going to be you know, t- signing a guy who has some injury issues and hoping he stays healthy. You're going to be taking a guy on day two or day three and hoping he develops into something. I mean, as much as you might want to sit there and say, hey, oh, it's fine. We'll just draft Jordan Mailata, you know, on, on right. day three. Right. We'll just we'll just take this guy who's never played football or barely played football and turn him into a franchise left tackle. Like, it's great if you can do that, but it's hard to count on that. And even the Eagles took Andre Dillard at left tackle thinking, okay, we have to take him here. So, you know, it, it's one of those things that I think it's hard to strike the balance and it's not a reflection on the player, it's just a reflection on the reality of how hard it is to find certain positions in the NFL. No question about it. And tight end has shown us. There are a few guys that were first round picks that have become stars, no doubt, right? TJ Hawkinson, who I mentioned, and Evan Ingram, and who was also, I think he was maybe pick 10 or 11. He was close. He was in the first half of the first round, I believe. So, uh, but he was definitely a first rounder. David Njoku had a breakout season, right? But there's also guys that were not first round picks that have certainly become stars. Travis Kelsey, the ultimate star tight end. George Kittle, a fifth round pick. Uh, this past season, Sam Laporta, right? But like even guys, Jake Ferguson for the Cowboys, like mm-hmm. a super serviceable fourth round pick tight end. There are a lot of guys that weren't first round picks at tight end and I know this is hard for us to do, Bill, especially in the era of social media where we have to judge (laughs) everything, like from our lunch each day to the draft a year after it took place. Um, It is totally fine. Like I'm I'm a big believer that like opinions are dynamic and they can change over time, right? But it's not just how these guys perform out of the shoots. It's how these guys perform relative to others over the life of their contracts and their deals. I absolutely 100% love Jameer Gibbs. He is a terrific, terrific player, Bill. He uh, was a monumental factor in a Lions run that that alone might have justified the pick, right? What will be interesting as well will be how that pick looks relative to other players that were taking around that 12th overall selection Mm -hmm. five years from now because running backs tend to have a shorter shelf life. Jameer might have a longer shelf life because of the receiving aptitude, but we have seen picks that have worked out masterfully in year one that have tended to age, that have Mm -hmm. aged poorly and it's had... Uh, it's forced us to sort of rethink our opinions on it. So uh, what I'm getting at is that um, the slow burn grade, and this is kind of a tangent from the tight ends, but typically a couple of the spots that uh, do lend themselves to early success, um, you might, you know, whether it's 
running back uh, the most most prominently. Like we got to make sure that we keep in mind that it is rarely just a pick made for that year. Maybe save like a couple of very very unique circumstances. Like the Jets might draft a player at ten, Bill. Yes. Who the most important thing they do is find out like they must they, their criteria might be. Does he play a position of need and can he help us this year and next? Because the window is so focused with Aaron Rodgers, obviously at the age of 40 right now, coming off of an Achilles, acknowledging that like every year is a calculation for him. Do I stay or do I retire? Yeah, absolutely. That is a, you know, Tom Brady might've been the same thing where, you know, the Bucs took Tristan Wirfs in the first round. Maybe they would have taken him either way, but that was okay. We have to get a guy who protects Tom Brady right now because our window is so small um you know the lions are such a good example about this and this is again a conversation you and i can have on this podcast but does not necessarily lend itself to a a twitter conversation about you know the lions and two things can be true right you look at jameer gibbs and he was awesome and maybe they don't get as far this year without jameer gibbs playing the role he did especially once he kind of became you know the 1a in that offense in the second half of the season but at the same time Look at what happened to them at the end of the year. They get a big lead against the Niners. They end up blowing the lead. Uh, Kendall Vildor is playing cornerback mm-hmm. for them as a regular cornerback. Ball bounces off his helmet. Um, they don't get a great pass rush on Brock Purdy late in that game. You look at them and you say, okay, two things can be true. Jameer Gibbs is a great player and a great addition to that roster, but also the people who were concerned about them not taking an edge rusher to play across from Aiden Hutchinson, who had questions about that secondary at cornerback. I know they added Brian Branch, who's you know a great player, a slot, maybe a safety player, a hybrid player, but not an, a traditional outside cornerback. Maybe if they make that move instead, maybe they're in a better spot. We don't know, but you know, the, the idea that you can only have one answer that only one thing can be true that you know whether a guy is going to be a bust or a superstar that's just not fair it's just a more nuanced and and you know a a more variable situation for every pick not just in terms of who you pick but also who you could have selected and what that means for your roster in the years to come man bill what i'm realizing and i need to gear up this is my first year in an official nfl draft capacity uh, analyst capacity for espn i'm realizing bill that I have to have two brains at one time. <laughs> one brain is argue because I've 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 done TV obviously covering that that first mock and I had to it felt like it became like planting my flag on Jaden Daniels and yeah. abandoning Drake May Island when like I love Drake May Bell. like the guy's an absolute star right like mm-hmm. I could make a case easily for Drake May uh, ahead of Jaden Daniels. However, that's not how it works oftentimes in the media climate that we work, especially on the television side. But I also be, I'll have to be able to keep my my podcast brain, right? The yes. I get to have conversations with Bill Barmel brain that allow you to actually, you know, to like bring everything you've got to the table because what you just said about like, you know, draft value and like roster construction is so salient and so pertinent, but it like, you know, I don't think Sports Center could make um like an Instagram graphic of your quote right there about the lions and roster construction. Like that was too many words for them. Right. But if it was, <laughs> you know, if, if, if we had done it differently, then certainly that kind of thing does lend itself to a lot of what people prefer these days, which is these short bites that just kind of, you know, that, that are, you know, my side is right and your side is wrong, but yes, the draft is so fascinating to me for all those reasons, Bill. And I think that there is an immense amount of pressure that we do not feel on our side, because again, uh, the reality is that, um, like what we do is not make the picks. 
you, it, I'm going to miss. I'm just telling people right now. I'm going to miss on players this year. I'm not of trying course. to. Of course, that's 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 part. It's baked into it, right? The culpability for me um, is for. I'm I'm going to own it, Bill. I will certainly own my. But like, I am not like I'm not in. I'm not in a general manager position. Um, so the pressure is just so different. Like every team's timeline is different that it does sort of change things up just a little bit, and that influences how the team approaches the draft. I'm learning this. I'm reminded of it more and more as I get through more and more players during the pre-draft process, Bill. But it's part of the reason why I've said this a million times over. My favorite event of the NFL year is the NFL draft because it gives you 32 beacons of hope, but it also gives you 32 very different strategies to approach this very, very fun exercise. Absolutely. And different teams will approach the draft in very different ways. One question to finish up for you, Field. I want to pass you the ball, get out of the way. I serve ah, for you here go. to finish up. It's very NBA All-Star game for you, Bill. Very, a lot of NBA NFL crossover today on the podcast. I can't help it. I can't help it. Yeah. yeah. I, I respect it. Um, it is NBA season now. But yeah. Give me the guy in your mock draft in the first round who you want to go to bat for, where other people, not saying they think this guy stinks, not saying they think this guy should go undrafted, that he's a fraud, but just someone who maybe you don't see very often when you see other people's mock drafts, or you see maybe going in round two or round yeah. three, where you feel like whether he's going to be a first rounder when it comes to draft day, whether he'll improve in this process, or whether even if he goes in day two or day three, He's going to succeed. He's going to be a guy who people say, oh, wow, how did that guy not go yeah. in the first round? Is there someone in your first round mock draft who you feel like you would really, you know, uh, hit the table for and say, this is a dude who should be going in the first round? There are two candidates, Bill, that I thought of. And after okay. all this like nuanced, thoughtful conversation about like roster construction and asset management, both of them play positions that are probably devalued by the league. But I'll, I'll go it. with Texas A&M linebacker Edrin Cooper, who okay. if you're listening to this prior to the combine, just like write this down. Assuming he does the various testing, which you never know what these guys are going to do or not do, Bill. But sure. assuming he does, he's going to absolutely crush it. He is going to just dominate the testing. He's going to run off the charts. He's going to jump incredibly explosively. He's going to be a, a, a riser, so to speak, after Indianapolis. He's a terrific player. Uh, eight sacks this past season. He had half a sack, half a sack in his career prior to wow. this past year, Bill. But AM uh, used him in a way that I thought was creative. I thought it was very much like tapping into what he does best. Big question I had in the process was a lot of his movement this year as a linebacker was going forward, right? A lot of pass rushing, a lot of downhill run thumping, what does it look like going backwards, right? Can he spot drop? Can he hold up a man-to-man -man coverage? Things like that. I have been assured by people uh, like close to the program uh, and people that have seen him do these things in drills, not during game action. That like, feel, I, I feel you. We had to do what we had to do to maximize him this past year, but mm -hmm. it's pretty darn good going backwards as well, right? So it gave me some confidence that that guy is going to, by the time the combine is over, uh, make himself feel like a first-round pick the other answer, Bill, was going to be Graham Barton, who uh, was a left tackle at Duke, but he was a center to begin his career, probably going to end up being a guard uh, at the NFL level, guard or center, which, again, the NFL is not exactly paying those guys at the same level that they pay left tackles and corners and edge rushers and things like that. But Graham Barton is frisky. He's tough. He's versatile. Played a ton of football. Maybe, maybe the most refined run blocker in the class, which right. guys are bigger than him and stronger than him, no doubt. But his technique, like his ability to drive his body like and, and just make contact consistently and use his natural leverage to his advantage, 
stands out to me in a very important way. Plug and play. And you and I know there's this pipeline now. There are a lot of guys that play tackle that move to mm. guard. As a matter of fact, Bill, I had him to the Bucks in my mock draft, who, if you look at their interior line this past year, Aaron Stinney, college left tackle. Center mm. was uh, uh, Robert Hainsey, right tackle at, at Notre Dame, who picked up center during the Senior Bowl. Had never snapped prior to that. <laughs> now he's a center. And right guard was Cody Mock, who was a second-round pick out of North Dakota State last year. Also snapped at the Senior Bowl, but had been a left tackle at North Dakota State. So uh, we are seeing teams left and right find guys that play tackle, that move to guard or center at the NFL. I think Graham Barton has all the goods to do exactly that. Yeah, and I mean, guard, not the sexiest position, not the one we think of. When we think about this is going to win you the Super Bowl. But hey, I mean, the, the Super Bowl might have been decided. It can lose you the Super Bowl. Might, yeah. might have been because, you know, the Niners right guard blew a pass protection on third and five inside the 10-yard line, and the Niners had to kick a field goal instead of getting a touchdown. So it can be the difference when things come down to it. Field, you will have a lot more draft content in the months to come. Where can people check out all the work you're doing? You can buy us some first draft Mondays and Thursdays. Mondays, we stream live on YouTube. Thursdays, we're also available on YouTube. We just don't do it live. And then I think, Bill, besides that, it's going to be a whole lot of TV appearances left and right. I'd love to give you something more specific, but hopefully it's frequently enough that you don't have to go search for me. You just kind of stumble upon me. That's my hope. Here's what you do. Turn on ESPN. Take a second TV. Turn it on ESPN, too. Just leave it on. Just wait until you see field. Turn on the volume, bask in the knowledge you're being provided, and then send tweet, send Field a, a very thankful tweet saying, I appreciate the insight you have offered. That's all you have to do. It's simple. You don't have to do a lot of work. Just let Field into your life, and you will be better for it. Bill, you're the best. That is incredibly <laughs> kind of you to say, and I hope that uh, listeners and viewers agree to that sentiment, agree with that sentiment. They do, everyone. You're America's sweetheart. Oh, gosh, Bill. We all love Field Yates, but Field, thank you so much, my friend, for coming on. And we will, I'm sure, be talking more about the draft here in the months to come. But thanks so much. I can't wait, Bill. Thanks so much to Field Yates. Field is the best. Of course, as Field said, it's on TV everywhere. Just check that out. Um, He'll be on talking about the NFL draft. Check out the First Draft podcast. Um, and of course, if you're listening to the Bill Barnwell show for the first time, keep listening to the Bill Barnwell show. Uh, like I said, we're doing shows once a week here during the off season. We're talking a lot about the draft, a lot about free agency in the weeks to come, but we're getting into our off season schedule here. So hope you guys are enjoying it and more audio next week.